Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Yeah, that time we showed the uh, Red Sea parting. That was pretty intense, huh? That was kind of interesting back in, I don't know when that movie was made, but like special effects, holy cow. Hey, it's great to see you. I'm Tim Jacobs, lead pastor here at Compass Church, also a member of the preaching team. So Dave's a member of the preaching team. Um, You'll be hearing from Andre, I think, um, pretty soon here. And so anyway, I'm so glad to have you here with us today. And it's pretty full today, too. This is pretty exciting. I mean, look around. There's not that many. It's always good to to not have to sit next to somebody that you don't know, know, like right next to them. Um, it's better than pews, though, because pews is like, you know, like your hip touches their hip, and it's kind of weird. So at least with the chairs, you have a defined space, and quite a large defined space, I'd say, as well. Not you, but the chair. Um, the chair, it, they're, they're, they're good-sized chairs, okay? So we, we, we love you. Anyway, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 16. As you're turning there, I want to point out to you that all of life is built around a rhythm. I want you to think about that concept because it's going to be huge today. The concept of a rhythm. The idea is that you're never given more than you need for a brief period of time. For example, how many of you throughout this entire service have been breathing? Oh, most of you. Good. If you have not been breathing, please take out your phone and call 911. We don't want you to die in the middle of church, okay? It's kind of weird. But you know that your lungs can only handle air for a brief period of time before it's got to shoot it back out and bring more in. Your heart has this little electric, I don't know anything about hearts, but I know it has this little electric thing that, that causes this, your heart to go like, you know, and it, and it just shoots all this blood through your bloodstream, and your heart has to beat a lot of times to keep circulating because you're only given enough, you know, whatever your blood needs to take to all your little, your little areas of your body for a little bit of time before it's got to do it again. If you, are, if you have not slept in 24 hours, your body is going to start letting other things um, come in and begin to take control of it. You can get sick. You can get delirious. You can get really weird. You can start seeing stuff. It's not good. We are designed to only handle little things for short periods of time before we need them again because all of life is based on a rhythm. If you see some really buff guy out there and you ask him, hey, how did you get to be so buff? He's not going to tell you, well, you know, back in 1995, I did this incredible workout. And man, ever since then, I've been great. No, you know that that person has got to discipline themselves because if you don't use it, you lose it, right? And it doesn't take very long, especially as you get older. I'm starting to learn this for myself. So I say this to you today because I want to teach you what is perhaps the most practical and yet the most underrated principle when it comes to how God has made the world and how God has made us. And that is this principle of what I'm going to call the rhythm of freedom. The rhythm of freedom. That if you're going to, to, to stay free from the things that have hurt you or held you back or you've been enslaved to, if you're going to really understand what it means to be mature, if you're going to have the strength to be able to endure whatever crises come upon you, 
please understand that that is not a super complicated thing. In fact, at the risk of sounding kind of boring to you today, I, I want to really get this, this principle to you that's so important. That if you're going to be able to endure the trials ahead, if you're going to be able to have the faith to face the future, you are going to need to become someone who recognizes the rhythm of your life and how to build in a what I'm going to call a rhythm of freedom. And so... If you can understand this, you will be a very strong person. Now, the Israelites have just been set free from the Egyptians. They have been under captivity for 400 years. They witnessed the most amazing thing that they had ever seen, which was the, uh, the, the, the release of them from the Egyptians because God sent the angel of death. They had the blood on the doorpost, yada, yada, yada. They've just, got, they've just crossed the Red Sea. And now look what happens starting with chapter 16, verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So these guys have been on the road for like 45 days. It's not very long. And look at verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Are you hearing what's going on here? These guys are rewriting history already. They're going, man, it was so much better when we were slaves. It was so much better when we were oppressed. We had big pots of meat and we had all this we had bread more bread than we could possibly eat i mean we were like carbo loaded man it was so great don't you remember in fact if you look in the book of numbers which is a parallel account of what happened they got mad more than that they're like we had fish and we had garlic to seasoning and we had all this i mean they had like the whole food network Back there in Egypt, it was so great. Remember how, how wonderful we had it. Now, why are these guys doing this? They're doing this because they're afraid. They're tired, they're hungry, and they're afraid of the future. Now, by the way, when you are tired and you are afraid of the future and you don't know what's going to happen and you're really worried about it, the first thing you start doing is you start rewriting the past and you start glorifying the past and you start wishing you were back in there. I want to say something to those of us because Christians are so good at this. Christians are so good at feeling holy by wishing for things being the way that they were and forgetting how things really were. So there's some of us in here that go, Oh, the 50s. You didn't even live in the 50s, but you saw a movie about it or something like that that was made in the 50s. And you're like, oh, the 50s were so great. Or you might say, I remember the 80s. We had Reagan and we had, you know, Wham and whatever, right? And it was, remember, remember how great it was back then and all this stuff? And then, or the 90s, right? We had grunge music back in the 90s and it was a cure for the, the glam rock metal um, catastrophe that happened. Anyway, 
But you look back on that, and it was so great. Remember, the economy was doing so well. And so you remember, like, the Reagan years or the Clinton years. And no one remembers the Carter years, really. But, but, but some kind of years, right? And it's, Christians have a wonderful way of feeling holy about saying, like, we have to get back to the past. And I'm here to tell you that when you start doing that, I promise you, you're on the wrong side of the issue as far as God is concerned. Because did you know there's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says, it is not good to look at the past, I'm paraphrasing. It basically says, do not long for the days of old, for it is not wise to do so. The only reason you're looking back is because you don't have a vision, and you don't have faith, and you don't have courage, and you don't have a, um, an idea of what God, the possibilities that are out there that God could do in your life, because you're hunkered down and afraid. Did you know, I'll just give you a little tidbit on this. Last week, my wife and I, we were in Florida, and we had the opportunity to hear from the president of World Vision. He was in a room, and there was about maybe 150, 200 uh, pastors and wives from around the country. And the president of World Vision, and if you don't know World Vision, it's like the premier Christian humanitarian organization in the world. I mean, it's just massive. And this guy comes in and sits down and says, you know what, let me tell you something. He says, we have a lot of problems in the world. But he says, I just want to give you a little update. Did you know that, that the poverty, the level of poverty in the world, the poverty rate, rather, is actually going down? The number of people living on a dollar a day or less in the world is actually going down. In other words, poverty is becoming less of a problem in the world. He said, I don't like to admit that because my whole organization is about telling people how horrible things are so they'll give more money. But I'm telling you that. Of course, he went on to talk about the refugee crisis and all of the current problems that we have now. But he was giving an example about how problems can and have been solved or are being solved. And that things aren't always as bad as they seem. The world isn't always getting worse. So if you want to hearken back to the days of old, back when things were better, in a lot of places, for a lot of people, the world was much, much, much worse. And it's important to realize that the past is never going to give us any solutions. We have to be people looking to the future. But when you're tired, and when you're hungry, and when you're afraid, and when you've never really lived under the true dependency of God, that is where you stand. So this is what they were doing. They were being people who were hearkening. In fact, it says they were grumbling. Did you know that ten, eight times in chapter 16 alone, eight times says grumble. It says once in 15, once in 17, but a to, so a total of 10 times. And that's all the time it ever says grumble. And I think in, maybe even in the entire Old Testament. But this word grumble, they were grumbling because they were frustrated and they were scared. You know the word grumble is like one of those words that you get because um, it kind of means what it sounds. Like when you grumble, you're going right? It also means murmur, like when people murmur, they go, that's what it sounds like, so that's the word for it. And so they're murmuring, they're grumbling, they're frustrated, they're scared, because they can't see a way out. And here's the deal, guys, they've never lived under the true guidance of God. They've never lived free. They don't have a clue about how to live as a free people. And so slavery becomes security. And I'll tell you something, when you're in a place where you're really following that pillar, remember last week we said, what was the challenge last week? Follow the pillar, follow the cloud, right? The pillar of cloud that God was leading the Israelites with in the daytime and the pillar of fire he was leading them with at night. And you follow that. You don't need to know how to get to where you're going. All you got to do is follow the pillar. But when you do that, it gets scary. We'll talk about why even in a few more minutes. But it gets scary. But they have never done that before. And when you've never done that before, it's very easy to start thinking, I want to run back to where it's safe. I want to run back to where it's comfortable. I want to run back to where I have more. And that's what these guys are doing. 
Now, here's the other thing that you have to know about this that's amazing. 45 days, as I said, they've been on the road. 45 days. That's not very much time. This is something that I pulled out of this. This is a major, huge principle. Because a lot of times, let me get that on my shirt. Sorry, ADD moment. I'm like, why do I have this? Must be the construction. Blame the construction dust. Um, a lot of times when people say they want to grow or they want to believe, they'll say, I wish God would show me a sign. Right? Maybe you've been that person. I wish God would just, if he could just speak to me. If he could just show me that he's real. If he could just prove himself to me. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever been someone like that? I'll believe, I'll follow, I'll obey, but I need to see a sign. You know what's amazing about this? Here are these guys, several million of them, who just witnessed the most amazing, they, they just witnessed it, they were a part of the most amazing miracle that's ever happened. Millions of them liberated from oppression by a miraculous event called the Passover, where the firstborn children and animals of all the Egyptians died, and the firstborn children of the Israelites did not because they had the blood over the doorpost, where Jesus Christ covers our sin, all that imagery, it was all built right there, where we cover the, the blood of the lamb, covers the doorpost, and the angel passes over, and if you have that blood, you're covered. And it's a beautiful symbol that became a characteristic of the, of the Jewish tradition, and then Christians obviously see the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. But they had this amazing thing happen. They had no idea it was going to happen. Then, just when they thought all was lost, what did God do? He takes the Red Sea, and he's What's it in half? And the ground is dry. It's not even muddy so they don't get like mud on their shoes. It's just dry ground. And they go across. And nobody, nobody gets stuck in the mud. No one gets their little, you know, um, pants dirty. They just go across. And then when the Egyptians go, hey, let's go get them. As soon as they go across, the sea goes back like this and drowns and kills them all. The Israelites watched all of this stuff. And 45 days, not even 45 days, like two weeks later, it's no big deal anymore. You can imagine Moses like, guys, what are you so freaked out about? Didn't you see the Red Sea? And you can hear him going, oh, Moses, that Red Sea, that's so last week, man. Seriously. I mean, that was like a week ago. What are we supposed to do now? And there's a very important principle I want you to understand. Your spiritual growth in your life is not, your, your spiritual growth, your dependency on God, your development of faith is not ultimately dependent upon mountaintop experiences. It's not about that. Because God could show himself to you. You could see the face of God if he were so to allow you to do that and if you didn't die in the process. And you could, you could hear his voice. And you know what? After a period of probably a short amount of time, it wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be enough. And so we look for these emotional highs, and we look for these one-time things, but that's not how God made us. God made us to live and survive in rhythm, in small steps, in repeated courses of action over and over and over again, like a heartbeat, like a breath, like a sleep cycle, like, a, like an appetite where you eat a little bit. You can't just eat for three weeks. You can only eat for a few hours. In my case, I can only eat for like an hour and a half, you know, and I'm like, ah, that's just the way that he made us. So this is important because you guys, as you're growing in your faith with, in Christ, sometimes what's going to happen is you're going to want these emotional experiences. And there's people out there that want to give you these spiritual highs. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that or we should never pursue being like emotionally blown away by God. But guys, that doesn't last very long. It goes away very quickly. 
What we need to do if we're going to have the strength to be able to get through the difficulties of life is we have to learn the rhythm of freedom. And I'm going to tell you about the essence of really what that means in a moment. But understand, that's the case. So we want to build strong people here who understand that it's about a rhythm, not about one emotional high. Our goal here is not to get you emotionally like, whoa, or you're like running around and dancing and screaming and yelling and throwing up your hands. It's okay to raise your hands in worship. It's okay to be excited in worship. We want you to be excited. But we don't want to do it for emotion's sake. We want it to be a response to what you know is true and is part of a rhythm of life. And so this is what God does. God, God gets them to this place, and again, they're totally freaked out. And maybe that's you right now. Maybe you're looking at the future, and you're going, man, I'm just freaked out. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm scared about my family. I, I'm scared about my, uh, my, my, my country. I'm scared about my job. I'm scared about my health. I'm scared. God, I don't know where you're taking me. What, what could possibly, uh, God, how are you going to pull me out of this? Now, I say this to you because this is where the Israelites are in, and they're in it so much that they want to go back to being slaves. So how does God help them? Well, what he does is he does this amazing thing by giving them exactly, he goes exactly to the point of their complaint. Their complaint is food. We don't have any food. We're hungry. So God feeds them. The way that, the way that God feeds them is very unique. What he does is he drops this substance onto the ground that comes in the morning and kind of melts by the afternoon. And this substance is called manna. Now, if you ever heard, um, and I can say this because my wife is half Mexican, um, the Mexican word of the day, you ever seen that like on Facebook, like the Mexican word of the day? Um, like the Mexican word of the day is wheelchair. And it's like, hey, if we don't have enough, wheelchair, right? <laughs> I think that's funny. There's some other ones too, but they would not be appropriate for this crowd, which is, again, why you shouldn't keep, leave your five and under kids outside, because you never know what we might say. But, so if you like say, well, manna, so like the manna would be our Hebrew word of the day, because manna is like, man, I don't know what this is. And they didn't. They didn't, literally, the word manna means, what is it? We have no idea what it is. I mean, it could be gluten-free. It could be vegan. It could be paleo. It could be South Beach diet. We have no idea. Although we probably can pretty much figure that it's kosher. Um, but here's what we do know. Here's what we do know about manna. Two things. Number one, it shows up once a day with the dew in the morning. And number two, it's got a shelf life of one day. One day. You can only use it for a day, and that's it. It's gone. All right? So it's got a really quick expiration date. Makes me think of my great-grandmother, God rest her soul. I used to go over to her house, and she'd go, here you go, Tim, when I was young and single and really poor. And she'd give me, like, all this food. And I'd go, oh, this is great. And it was all expired, you know? Because, like, Depression era, you know what I mean? So, I mean, like, this is great, but there's a pecan pie from 1985 that's been in the freezer for that long. And so, anyway, but as a junior high pastor, I used to give it away as prizes, actually, to the kids. It was awesome. Um, so whatever Zerati does, it's, he, don't worry. It's like I've done ten times worse. Um, anyway, she won't be offended by this because she's no longer with us. But anyway, so I'm just saying, I don't know why I went off on that, but, but it, the point is, is that it expires very quickly. Now, while my great-grandmother stored food because she's always afraid of the future, these people are in a place they cannot store it. They cannot store it. 
every single day, they must depend on the rhythm of God's provision. And God set it up on purpose this way. Listen to what he does. In verse 19, And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses, because, you know, hey. Um, Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. See, again, they've never lived under the direct guidance of God. And so all these other small G gods are still kind of with them. And one of those is, I got to have stuff. If I can have the material, then I'll be okay. And some of them, even though they were told, you will have some for tomorrow. Don't worry. Nope, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take more than I need because I'm afraid that God's not going to really provide. And so God showed them and they had that, like a health hazard in their home. So anyway, morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Now here's the rhythm part that I'm talking about, and I want you to listen to this. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. I have no idea what an omer is. I think it's like around a liter. I just know you should not name your child omer. Um, And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest. Now this is the day before, so they're gathering more than they need for this day because they were told to. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there was no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day which is a Sabbath, there will be none. And why? Because right here, God is instituting a rhythm of freedom. He is teaching them how to be a free people. And for the first time in all of human civilization, a concept is dropped on humanity that says you are more than your work. You are more than your stress. You are more than what you can produce. You are a human being made in the image of God. And every man, woman, and child, regardless of income, regardless of power, regardless of age, gets an opportunity to live as they were created in the image of God. And just as God spent seven days creating the earth, and on the seventh day he rested, and that was part of that seven days, you get to follow God, which was the whole intention of your creation in, in the first place, is that you were created to be like God, and now you can be like God because you have one day where you will not work. Now, my friends, I will tell you something. There is no more elevating and dignifying and um, humanizing concept that had been put on humanity up until that point, until, uh, up until the point of the Sabbath. This is the most dignifying thing in the world, and I'll tell you why. Because for once, God is saying to the people, he's saying, on this day, you are not going to have to worry about what you produce. You are not going to focus on the physical. You are going to remember that you are, you are also, you're a physical being, but you are also a spiritual being, and your spiritual life matters. Your well-being matters. Your understanding of God matters. Who you are matters. Your, your opportunity to become realigned with who you are matters. And that is as life-giving and vital and as important as the breath 
you breathe and the food you eat and the sleep that you take and the heart that's beating in your chest. If any one of those systems ceases to function, you die. And here's the thing. We don't get that. We go, ah, oh, Sabbath. That's ridiculous. Don't you know in our world today, it's 24-7, baby. My phone's always on. And we, we take pride in our servitude. We take pride in our servitude to the demands of others and the stress of life and the lack of resources and the bills that we have to pay to the point where we say, we do not have time for God. If you do not have time for God, you are a slave. I'm very sorry for you. I'm very sorry for you. You live in a free country, but it does not matter. You are a slave. Understand, this, I'm just telling you what the scripture says. Very first thing God does, after he does some really amazing miracles to show the Egyptians that he's God, and we talked about all that stuff, why the Red Sea and why the Passover and blah, 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 okay? They're on the run, and they're afraid. And God strengthens them and builds a foundation of their culture that will sustain and strengthen them for generations and millennia to come. And that simple concept is you are no longer a slave. You live under my rule and my direction, which means there is one day where you trust me and you stop. Take more than you need because the next day when you wake up, there'll be nothing to gather. I don't want you, I don't want you focused on the ground. I want you focused up here. And you and I, who think ourselves so sophisticated and so important, and so, uh, you know, we've got to get everything figured out. We don't have time. And yet, God has built life to exist as a series of rhythms. Breaths, beats, hours. And you wonder why all these things have gotten in the way. The Sabbath day is God's way of empowering us and teaching us to be free and teaching us to depend on him because it teaches us the concept of a rhythm. If you do not have these rhythms in your life, then something else will begin to enslave you and take over your judgment, take over your sense of well-being, take over your understanding of the future and why you're here and what you're here to do and all that stuff and direct and guide your decisions and all that, everything else. So you gotta remember something. When, again, as I said before, these people had never lived free. And so it, it's not like they didn't believe God. They did believe God. They just never had the opportunity to follow him. Understand what happens. There's a huge difference, you guys, between believing God and following God. I would say that we have a lot of people in the West Valley who, are, who say, would say that they're Christians. When you really talk to them and you get in their life, you realize that Christianity for them means I believe in God. I don't not believe in God. I'm not an atheist. I mean, there's very few atheists out there. But most Christians, I think, people that I run into say, well, I'm a Christian. I check the box. If I have like a whole bunch of lists, I check Christian. So I believe God. 
but I don't think they, they mean they follow God, if you were to really ask them. Because their life looks different than the life that God has offered. So I believe God, but I'm not following him. So when the Israelites had 400 years where they could believe in God, but they had no opportunity to actually live under the guidance of his rule because they lived under the guidance and rule of the Egyptians. They were like God to them. So now they can follow the pillar for the first time. And when you begin to do that, don't be surprised when it leads you into places of wilderness. This is why you need the rhythm. But let me give you, run, run with this example for a minute. Take sex for a minute, because that's kind of a fun thing to talk about. You can be a person who says, you know what, I, I sleep around, you know, I, I, I flirt, you know, I'm married, but I still flirt, I do this. I don't really, I don't feel the need to have like total fidelity. Or maybe, hey, I can even be like, you know, really into pornography and stuff like that. You can do all those things, and you can believe in God. It's not hard at all. Yeah, I believe that there's a God. But if I'm honest, I let the, the small g God of sex, my sexual desires, I let that guide my decisions. What I want to do, what feels good to me, that is what I do. Regardless of what God says. I, I know he's there, I just, I don't follow him. See the difference? I believe in him, I just don't follow him. And what happens is, when a person finally gets to the place in their life where they say, I actually want to follow the pillar. I actually want to follow Jesus. I actually want to listen to his words and, and, and believe them as though they're true so it changes the way I live my life. Then what happens is, your, your sexuality then comes under the rule of God. So now no longer is your sexuality driven by your own um, ideas or your own feelings or impulses, but it's driven by what God says. And so when God says, hey, I created sex, and I created sex to be something that's done between a man and a woman in the bounds of marriage, and that's it. And in, in, that, in that context, sex is then life-giving. It's, um, it's, it's constructive for body and soul. And it's ultimately creative and everything else. And it's a lot of fun. When I have sex outside of the bounds of male and female in marriage, then sex becomes destructive to body and soul. In fact, you could say, you could trace the vast majority of societal ills back to um, sexual immorality. And, the, the, and fatherlessness and single mother and, you know, um, a lot of the anger and violence and crud that happens in, all over the place can be traced back to decisions made about sexuality. So what happens is when a person finally says, I am going to now follow God, and I'm not going to just believe him, then they begin to follow the pillar. Well, the, the person they were involved with now isn't going to do that. They're, not, they're saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm still letting sex and my sexual desires be my God. Now what happens is this person begins to drift away. They just naturally drift apart. Almost, you can just see it. Just like the Israelites drifted from the Egyptians, you will drift from the people that you were once involved with if they aren't following the pillar with you. And that can be a devastating, painful, difficult, lonely um, terrorizing experience because it causes people to walk away from relationships. It causes them to walk away from friendships. It causes them to change behaviors that will, for a time, feel like a wilderness experience. This feels like the wilderness. I had to break up with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. I had to break off an engagement. I had to, I had to stop hanging out with these people because their influence caused me to not be able to follow the, the pillar of God's, of God's word anymore. So I'm not doing that. And when you do that, of course it's scary. And of course there's going to be times in your life where you say, I wish I could just go back because there it was safe. There it was fun. There I, I had everything that I wanted. There it was comfortable for me. And you're going to rewrite history to a degree. The reason I bring this up is because if 
there is not a rhythm in your life of being able to meet with God, realign with God, discover God, be in awe of God, then you eventually will see no reason why not to go back to where you were. Because the wilderness sometimes is just too scary. And yes, I believe every new Christian especially, and oftentimes many older Christians as well, will go through periods of life that feel like a wilderness. I've been there, and many of you have been there as well. And you say, God, why is it so hard? It's hard, but it doesn't have to be as hard. It's more hard when we ignore the rhythm. And so specifically, what do I mean? In this case, God institutes a Sabbath. And the Sabbath day is where they are to take their eyes off of everything else for a moment and put them on God. Now let me ask you a question. See, because I, and what, what am I really getting at? I'm getting at a couple things. I'm getting at a couple things where I'm asking you, first of all, to say, do I have a Sabbath in my life? Because if your answer is you're just too busy, I love you, but you're a slave. If you come here every week, it may not be the greatest thing you ever heard in your life. It may not be the greatest thing you ever saw in your life. But if you come here every week, every week what you, what's going to happen is you're going you're to see money that is a God that ruins people, but not bad in and of itself. When it becomes a God, it, it's bad. But you're going to have money be put in its place under the rule of God. When you come here, as I said before, you're going to have sex, which ruins a lot of people. Not that it's bad, but when it's used as a God, it's bad. Put in its place. When you come here, you're going to have relationships that often are the source of bitterness and contempt and anger and, and can consume people's emotions be put in their place. You're going to have guilt that oftentimes causes people to do all kinds of horrible things to themselves and live in isolation and fear and everything else be put in its place. And so slowly what's happening is, not one time, but a rhythm of life Every seven days, we are learning how to become a free people. But yet every study says that church attendance, while many churches are growing, the frequency of church attendance is going down. And I get it. It's 24-7 world. But let me ask you a question. If you, if, if you haven't been here in three weeks... And I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just, just, being, I'm just shooting straight with you. I don't care if you go here or wherever you go. You know what I mean? If you go join some other church, that's fine. But if you haven't gone, if you haven't been here, if you haven't taken a Sabbath where you've literally intentionally said, I'm going to shut off everything and I'm going to come here, I'm going to meet with God. If you haven't done that in three weeks and you've got all these problems, can you put two and two together? If you, haven't, if you haven't been here for three weeks, try holding your breath the rest of the day and only breathing a third of the time. See what happens to you. See, see what, if you haven't been here in two weeks, try, um, try not sleeping for two days and see what thoughts come in and go, what, what happened? What happened? And, and it's this, it's, we talk about connection groups and getting people together. I mean, can I just be real with you guys? Um, I, I do my very best, and the staff will tell you, you know, that I could try to be the same guy here as, as out there in the world, Okay. And so I don't have, I'm not a perfect guy, but I don't have anything in my life right now that would disqualify me from being up here and talking to you. There's nothing, there's nothing that you would be like, oh, I can't believe he's doing that. He shouldn't be the pastor. There's nothing like that going on. And it's not because I'm this great guy. Look, hear this. I, I am not a pastor 
because I am a particularly moral person. I believe I'm a moral person because I'm a pastor, if that makes sense. I believe that the demands of ministry requiring me to be here with you, engaging in this, trying to understand the ways of God, carving space, and, and trying to surrender the gods that want, to, the, the, the things I've elevated as God in my life, trying to surrender those things to the rule of God. Over time, I believe that those things, that, that, that commitment to that, commitment to trying to be here every Sunday, commitment to trying to help you guys understand, that's what's kept me from falling off the cliff. Not, well, I'm in this position, um, so I have to be good. No, no, no. I think that being in this position has helped keep me from sin. Because I'm forced to engage in the things of God. So for that, I'm very grateful, personally. But you've got to do the same thing. I'm forced to wrestle with some of these things, otherwise I have no credibility with y'all. You may have to think of other ways, but you've got to say, is there a rhythm in my life? Jesus said this. I'll close this. I'll let you get out of here. I wish I could say more, but I don't have time. And there's another service coming in, so lucky for you. Jesus got it right in the desert. Listen to this, guys. A lot of things Jesus got right, the Israelites got wrong. We would have done the same thing, so don't be too hard on the Israelites. Jesus in the desert, tempted for uh, no food for 40 days, 40 nights. Devil comes to him, tempts him, and says, if you're really the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And rather than going, okay, why not? Jesus says the one thing that the Israelites should have said a long time ago. He fulfills basically the issue. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I want you guys to be strong. You're not going to be strong with a mountaintop experience, baby. That might help for a week. I want you to be strong because God has carved out a rhythm in your life and you are here. You are in the word. You are with a connection group and you are like, as I breathe, as, I, as my heart beats, as I eat, as I sleep, God is the one whom I live by and he is the one and his words the ones that strengthen and sustain me. That's all I got for you. God, thank you for these men and women here today. A message that just doesn't seem all that sexy on the outset, but is vitally important. We want to grow up, God. We don't want to be tripped up by the things that some of these things are disasters in our lives. But by your word, we know that you have rescued us by the blood of your son, Jesus, and that we have been given that rest, and we are preparing for heaven where we'll be resting all the time but focusing on you. Help us, God. Help us to see life as the rhythm that you've created it to be. That we would day after day after day seek you. And in so doing, have the courage to face those things that seem in so insurmountable now. Thank you for the wisdom that you've provided. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.